You are hearing the Echoes Podcast, and I'm John DiLiberto. How are you all doing out there during these coronavirus times? We're still crafting new Echoes programs every day, while everyone the staff, except me, is working remotely. And today, the Echoes Podcast returns after a planned and apparently pretty well-timed hiatus. But we're back with a new interview with Alex Summers. You may know him from working with Seeger Rose, producing Juliana Barwick and Brianna Morella, or from the duo Alex and Yunzi. He's also scored movies like Honey Boy, Taylor Swift's Miss Americana, and the Black Mirror TV show. Through it all, he maintains a minimalist, ambient approach. My favorite music quote is like this thing Lareed said, one chord is okay, two chords you're pushing it, three chords you're into jazz. And even though the music I make is, for the most part, like soft and subdued affair, like I really connect to that mentality. That's Alex Summers. I've got him ahead. I'm also going to revisit an interview with Gentle Giant. They are issuing their first four albums on vinyl in April. Those are the self-titled debut, Acquiring the Taste, Three Friends, and Octopus. So I thought I'd go back to a really great 2011 interview I did with Giants Derek Schulman and Gary Green. That's all ahead. While you're trapped in your home, you'll want to take yourself, at least mentally, out of your environment. The Echoes podcast will take you there for 13 or 20 minutes, but for sustained relief, check out Echoes Online. It's our subscription service where you can stream two-hour Echoes programs on demand and get exclusive online-only Echoes streams. And you can do it with your Echoes app, which you should have by now. Go to echoes.org and find out about Echoes Online. And now, let's spool the film with Alex Summers. Alex Summers is a name you hear on the fringes. He's produced people like singer Brianna Morella and Juliana Barwick. He worked on the last two studio albums from Icelandic icons Sigur Rós and then formed a duo with Yunzi from that band. And now he's in Hollywood, scoring major films like Captain Fantastic and Miss Americana. I caught up with him in his L.A. studio on Skype. Alex Summers has quietly become an architect of ambience. Born and raised in Baltimore, he's found himself on the global music stage after spending 12 years in Iceland. But even before he connected with Sigur Rós, while a student at the Berklee College of Music, he was exploring ambient sounds. I guess I first heard ambient music when I was maybe like 16 and was just kind of blown away by the concept that you could uh, make music that didn't have a lead vocal or a drum beat of any kind. I heard, you know, Aphex Twin and led me to many other bands that really influenced me, Stars of the Lid and William Bozinski. And I, something about it just really resonated with me, just flowing melodic music without too much of a nod to rhythm at all. We 
With his short, straight brown hair and boyish, angular face, Summers looks like a squire or troubadour out of a two-dimensional medieval painting. In Baltimore, Summers wasn't just spacing out an ambience. As a teenager in the late 1990s, he was a rocker. Sonic Youth, Nirvana, Mudhoney, Radiohead, and Fugazi, and led me to Aphex Twin, which introduced me to ambient music. He took all of that with him to Reykjavik, where he meant to study art, but instead started a studio and worked with Sigaros on their two most recent studio albums. He also had a group called Parachutes. Parachutes was my best friend, Scott Alario and I, just two of us just doing homemade kind of bedroom recordings. Our badge of honor was that everything was really lo-fi. Like one record we did only with the built-in mic on his like little MacBook at the time. And then we got obsessed with micro cassette recorders, and we did like a lot of songs only on micro cassette recorders. It was just wanted, wanted it to kind of have the smallness woven into it. Also liked Glockenspiel. Yeah, definitely. Like, why can't you just like play a Glockenspiel? You know. That simple, naive, toy-like sound would influence a lot of his music, especially his 2019 score to the movie Honey Boy. It's the fictionalized biopic of actor Shia LaBeouf. It tells the story of his youth with a derelict father who mistreated him, living in a squalid motel even while LaBeouf was becoming a Hollywood star. The film, written by LaBeouf and directed by Alma Harrell, is full of playful noises. Yeah, um, I do use a lot of weird sounds on it. I mean, it's a mixture of more traditional things like piano and string section, and then more weird stuff like a dulcitone was used a lot, um, various like crappy glockenspiels, and then a lot of toys. Toys I've collected at flea markets and vintage stores like all over the world over the last 15 years. And um, I love using toys. It's really fun and inspiring to sample them or to play them or to drum on them or to wait till the batteries are dying and start to record them. Or, you never get to do that in film scoring. It's like a, a rare chance to get to use weird toys. Oh, 
Bunny Boy is fraught with emotional violence and darkness, but Summers underscores it in a mood of melancholy and reflection. Even a scene where the main character, Otis, goes on a junkyard destruction spree, Summers finds the emotional undertone. You're right, it doesn't ever fully get, like, violent. Um, I don't know, maybe the violence of a child is, like, it's kind of a sad thing, you know? And this kid is just being neglected by his parents and not being cared for very well at all and he's getting to the age where it's kind of showing itself in anger and violence. film that stands in sharp contrast to Honey Boy, at least in musical and cultural context, is the Taylor Swift documentary, Miss Americana. Yeah, they really like brought me on board with that in mind, and we all acknowledge the fact that my music is kind of the opposite of Taylor Swift's music, and... My stuff's kind of like slow and ambient, and hers is like really catchy pop songs. The most upbeat that Summers gets is near the opening, where the film rapidly runs through Swift's rise to fame. That's kind of like a big triumphant cue where she's like standing on a stage and there's like whatever, tens of thousands of super screaming fans and that's like a little bit of like this intro cue to the entire film that's kind of like she's on top you know i was so fulfilled by approval that that was it became the person who everyone wanted me to be. Most of Summer's music is used to score the more introspective moments of Swift's life. In the sequence describing the Taylor Swift backlash, Summer's chose a simple piano motif that sounds like it's submerged. That's a great description. Um, yeah, so it's piano chords that I slowed down a few semitones. So I use this very speed process a lot with my music. So those, those piano chords, I reverbed them heavily and slowed them down a little bit. I probably use the Moog filter on them because, yeah, when it's so submerged and you kind of want to kill all the top end. It's a perfect mood for Swift's lamentations. Hashtag Taylor Swift is over party was the number one trend on Twitter worldwide. Do you know how many people have to be tweeting that they hate you for that to happen? people who got into this line of work because we wanted people to like us because we were intrinsically insecure because we liked the sound of people clapping because it made us forget about how much we feel like we're not good enough and I've been doing this for 15 years and I'm tired of it I'm just tired of the just 
It just feels like it's more than music now at this point. Alex Summers generally works in a minor key emotionally. His music with Yunzi on a pair of albums, Rice Boy Sleeps and Lost and Found, operates the same way. My favorite music quote is like this thing Lou Reed said. I'll probably say it slightly wrong, but he was like, one chord is okay, two chords you're pushing it, three chords you're into jazz. It's like this hilarious quote. And you listen to Velvet Underground, it's so street, it's so basic, it's so, so much attitude. And even though the music I make is for the most part, like soft and subdued affair. Like I really connect to that mentality and try to try to embody my stuff with like, yeah, just more of a punk attitude. In a quiet and glacial way. There is an otherworldly aura around much of Alex Summers' music. His albums with Yunzi, especially Rice Voice Sleeps, sound unplayed, as if no human actually performed it. Wow, that's that's like the nicest thing I've ever heard, I think, actually, around that album is because I'm, I'm really into like fictitious worlds. Like with music, it doesn't have to be about something. Like, here's a song about this. I feel like that music isn't that. It's the opposite of that doesn't have to be a place or time or anything, it's just this stuff that's there emerges somehow. Until recently, Alex Summers and Yunzi were also a romantic couple, but that ended the middle of last year. But they continue a friendship and collaborative work. You know, we hung out a few nights ago and I'm going over his house tonight. We're like really close and care a lot about each other. They've left a lot of great music behind them, including Yunzi's solo album Go, the scores for the TV series Manhattan, Black Mirror, and more. Summer's music will be paired with hip-hop songs on the forthcoming movie Charm City Kings. The soundtrack for Honey Boy is out on Crunk Records and a solo album is promised to be forthcoming. You can add the music of Alex Summers to your collection, including Honey Boy. I'll have a link in the posting for this podcast. There are many progressive rock bands that still stock the earth. Yes, and two versions, King Crimson, Van de Graaff Generator, but not Gentle Giant. They made all their records during prog rock's glory years in the 1970s and then called it quits. But their legacy continues on as one of the most innovative and expansive bands in the genre. All of their studio albums were reissued on CD and now their first four recordings are being reissued again on vinyl. Nine years ago, founding members Derek Shulman and Gary Green came by to tell the tall tales of Gentle Giant. 
When you talk about progressive rock bands like Gentle Giant, certain words come up a lot. One of them is pompous. Well, it sounds, sounds pompous, and we never were that. The word pomposity. If, if, if you want to make it in these pompous terms. Um, Which and we can't do because we don't take ourselves seriously. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> That's Derek Shulman and Gary Green. Their band, Gentle Giant, came into being at the dawn of progressive rock with groups like Genesis, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Yes, and King Crimson. But they had an earlier life as a pop group called Simon Dupree and The Big Sound. It included the Shulman brothers, Derek, Phil, and Ray. They were an R&B band, but had their only big hit with a psychedelic single called Kites. In In England, Kites became a hit in 1967, but frustrated by pop stardom, the Shulman brothers went a different way. Derek Shulman. At some point in 1969, 70, we decided to get Paul call it a day and recruit some other musicians who we wanted to utilize and work with to improve our musicality and work together in something totally different to what a pop band was. One of the musicians considered was Elton John, who had also played in Simon Dupree for a short spell when he was still known as Reg Dwight. This is way back in the late 60s, and we said we're going to start this group, which we don't know what's gonna, what it's going to sound like, but we want to do something totally different. And he said, well, I'd be interested in being a keyboard player. So we said, OK, well, let's see what you got. He opened his piano and started playing Skyline Pigeon and, and uh, Your Song, and me and Ray said, never happened. No, right. And he said, by the way, I'm going to call myself Elton John. And then, then doubly, we said, a, du a double whammy, never happened. Thank God for him, we said that to him. <laughs> You've obviously honed your A&R skills after that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, Despite that, his that. lack of hit-making acumen, after General Giant's demise, Derek Shulman went on to become a top A&R man, discovering artists like Bon Jovi. Now in his mid-sixties, he's trim with brushed back salt-and-pepper hair, fashionably short beard, and a smartphone on his belt. But in the seventies, he was a shaggy-haired singer with a powerful clarion voice. When Gentle Giant debuted in 1970, they immediately established themselves as a band following a unique, if not slightly idiosyncratic, path. The Shulman brothers recruited blues guitarist Gary Green and a classical keyboardist named Kerry Minear. He brought a different sensibility to the more R&B-inclined Shulmans, Gary Green. He'd come from the Royal Academy, he'd studied composition there, I think was his main study, and uh, tuned percussion and piano was his second study. So as a composer, he was looking to uh, incorporate all different kinds of elements, but using uh, rock instruments, you know, but sort of came from it from a classical composer's 
point of view. So we became kind of a palette for Kerry's musical composing. Their point of view included things like madrigal-style vocals. I don't think we ever heard the term madrigal back in the day, but it was just like three, four-part harmony or contrapuntal uh, lines. Even if the music wasn't so different, the instrumentation would have set a gentle giant apart. Everyone played multiple instruments. On a gentle giant record, you'd find violin, all kinds of orchestral percussion, saxophone, mellotron, renaissance recorders, and more. There was a, an orchestra in Advision one day, and there was a harp there, which we were told not to use, as I recall, but we ended up using it, you know, plucking it, and uh, I think we got in trouble for that. But. But it was, it was a unique uh, sound colour that was not available any other way. Uh, but we were good at imagining colours with different Actually, that's a good word, colour, because colour yeah. was, was the... the I, I think colour is, is what Gentle Joe is about in character. Although Gentle Giant often rocked out, they describe the music as orchestral. Derek Schulman. If you hear this, the, the songs, if you, call, if you call them that, they're not really songs, they're pieces of music, because yeah. they have structures of themes. You'll hear the thema thematic uh, material going from, whether it's a bass line to the guitar lines or to a vocal line, but there's always a thematic part to the songs. So in that respect, as an orchestra does with their themes, we did it as a group. According to their engineer, the late Martin Russian, they did it in a very complex and advanced manner that utilized the recording studio to full effect. They were great musicians. Great musicians. I mean, phenomenal. And I mean, the tasks they used to set up for themselves live were just beyond belief. And I mean, you know, when we finished recording, I think they've done it this time. There's no way they're going to be able to do this lot live. And yeah, I went and seen them two or three months later to promote the album, bang, there they were, they got it all done. It was just amazing, just amazing. Gentle Giant never attained the massive popularity of many progressive rock contemporaries, but they did garner a large cult following on both sides of the Atlantic. But as punk music ascended, Gentle Giant attempted to answer this new trend, which had nothing but disdain for progressive rock. The results are mixed, and both Derek Shulman and Gary Green agree on the band's low point. I think we can agree on that one. I bet you thought we couldn't yeah. do it there. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you get it on a raise button, can we do that now? <laughs> Delete. I really wish we hadn't done it, is what we should have called it. <laughs> Maybe we should re you know, we put it out again. I really wish we hadn't done it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of dumb, right?
This may not have been Gentle Giant's shining moment, but it's also not the moment for which they remembered. Instead, it's epics like the power and the glory and the concise brilliance of free hand. Gary Green has put together a band called Three Friends to perform Gentle Giant material and the Giant Catalog is currently being reissued on CD. For Echoes, I'm John DiLiberto. That's how I used to sign off interviews some nine years ago. I'm not sure what's happening with Gary Green and Three Friends these days. Gary had a heart attack a few years back and while he's recovered, Things have been pretty quiet with that band since then. But Gentle Giant, they were an amazing group. I'm really glad I got to see them back in the day a few times. And Gary Green's three friends were pretty good as well. Well, we're back. And next week on the Echoes podcast, I've got ukulele master Jake Shimabukuro, who has his best album out right now, exploring a more intimate and intuitive sound. I'm John DiLiberto. Thanks for dialing up the Echoes podcast. See you next week, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country or online right now on Echoes. Mm-hmm.